0: On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we are joined by Ed Feng, Power Ranker of college basketball, college football, and NFL. You can find Ed on Twitter at The Power Rank. You can also find his work online at ThePowerRank.com. And while you're there, please be sure to check out his blog. Today we're talking about March Madness edges and the use of power ratings. Let's dive in to the sharp side and look for the right angles in sports betting. Big bomb, bomb, bangers. Ladies and gentlemen, Jews and Gentiles, sharps and squares. Welcome back to episode 20 of 90 Degrees, where we discuss the right sports betting angles. I'm your host, Kevin Davis, and today we're bringing on the legendary Ed Fang who has a PhD in sports betting, as well as chemical engineering. But before we bring on Ed, we have a special announcement to make. The podcast has a sponsor, our first ever sponsor, Pinnacle Sportsbook. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sportsbook and is now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the bettors play taking sharp action every day. No limits, low synthetic hold, and a must have for those with a top down approach. Must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, not available in the US. Ed, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, You cover a lot of different sports. Uh, Just give us like a brief background on your your, uh, specialty in the sports betting space.
1: Right, Kevin, thanks so much for having me on the primary thing I do over at the Power Rank is predictive analytics for football betting. It all started uh, over a decade ago when I got myself kicked out of academia and was looking for something else to do with my time. I always love sports and some of my math background ended up being a, a really good basis for thinking about how to adjust for strength of schedule. So I worked out some of the details of an algorithm. Uh, It essentially adjusts for strength of schedule. This is obviously really important in college football, where the SEC and the Sunbelt play vastly different strengths of schedule. So I found it to be a useful thing in all sports. Uh, I I know it gives me an edge in the NFL as well, even though we kind of don't think about that quite as much in, in pro football. And, In one of the early years, I was uh, talking to some people who were advising me about where to go with this algorithm and the predictions that it makes, and they said, oh, you should do March Madness. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to do that. You know, Ken Pomeroy's got that covered. He's been doing it for so long. Like, literally, this was 12 years ago, right? So uh, not much has changed there in terms of college basketball analytics. Everyone still goes over to his site, but this advisor friend told me you you have to do college basketball because the tournament is so big and i was like okay that sounds good um because i've been a big college basketball fan i love march madness just just like all of us do and, and filling out brackets and so i ran the algorithm and uh you know it's done pretty well over the years the whole notion of adjusting for strength to schedule is really important in college basketball as well as you're trying to figure out you know how to rate a team like Gonzaga who plays in the West Coast Conference uh, compared to an Alabama who plays in a very tough SEC this year. So it's useful. My methods have really evolved over the the past decade. Um, Things change every year, as you well know, Kevin, in in sports and you have to adjust and, and sometimes you have multiple models running and Sometimes one model works last year, and th- then it kind of sucks right now. So these these types of things happen, but I, I hope as a predictive analytics person, I'm always trying to evolve. I'm I'm always trying to get better. And most of my year is spent on football, but I, I really do enjoy engaging in in March Madness right now. And. I, I'm I'm not you, you know Ken Ken still has a space kind of on lockdown in a lot of ways and the way I've kind of uh, negotiated that is is just to become the person that people go to for how to win your bracket this is how to win your March Madness pool so how to fill your bracket out in a way that maximizes your odds and I've this is really cool because it involves analytics but it's not just analytics you need a little bit of strategy as well
0: and I'd be happy to talk about that today. Yeah, definitely. That's, you know, a primary reason we brought you on. This is coming out right before March Madness. Uh, as of our, the day we're recording this, we don't know the brackets, but we will know pretty soon. Now, like one thing I've noticed with Ken Palm is the, the actual game by game projections are very close to the spread. But sure. if you take their numbers, build a simulation for these conference tournaments, there are some values to be found. Mm-hmm. So part of it is the numbers are out there, but if you um, you know do certain things with the numbers that are out there, you can find bets that other people aren't finding. Um, what sort of like under the radar futures are game by game bets um, can betters you know look for uh, that aren't you know publicly posted?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's particularly important question right now. Because every March, I just feel like college basketball spreads are so sharp. That's a very different story in November and December, where, you know, it's been known for a long time that that's a pretty good place to hit the sports books. Because there's a lot of, they're focusing a lot of their attention on football as they need to do. Uh, There's probably a lot of value in spreads. I think right now, uh, you know, if you're going to bet a college basketball game, probably better to try to to come up with an angle on the total. That's going to be a little bit easier to do. So there's that, Kevin. What you mentioned in terms of looking at conference uh, tournament win probabilities, I think that is is something that is a, is a very good idea to do. I had Andy Molitor on my podcast, and he talks a lot about that. He tries to break down some of those smaller uh, conference tournaments, trying to find value there. I certainly think that's a good idea because it's it's just not as well plowed uh, an area. I, I feel like if you if you do have some quantitative skills, you you can just get Ken Palm's numbers or Actually, my best numbers are for free. Uh, I have them still for free on my site right now. That that's not going to be the case on Monday morning, but you can you can just go grab my numbers for all 363 teams. And it uh, the the model that I'm trusting most right now is actually the error metrics have been better than the opening line over the last month. Uh, so I feel pretty good about where those numbers are. Right. So, um, yeah, and then futures. I think. I haven't bet a ton of futures. Uh, I did grab Houston eight to one a couple weeks ago. That was something I had in my newsletter. I uh, can't get that number anymore. We'll talk about Houston because they're the favorite, and I believe they should be. My and, numbers uh, like them
0: too, so that
1: makes me feel better. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And 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 I think they took a lot. They check a lot of boxes when you you think about basketball. When you think about, uh, you know characteristics of the team that tend to win the tournament. Uh, I think they check a lot of boxes, but we should talk about that in a little bit. Uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. As, as I say this, like I, I feel like you should probably stay away from spreads. Um, that being said, I'm probably going to have a spread in my newsletter tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of what I'm thinking. Obviously we don't know. There's, there's no, there's no market up right now and they're going to come up pretty late just with the structure of conference tournaments. Um, but they are pretty sharp right now, so you better be pretty sure of your angle uh, before you bet a spread. Probably better to look at a future or total.
0: I mean, part of what I found with these conference championships is you just got to look at the rules for each one, and mm-hmm. there's so many conferences where getting those buys are important. So you may have a long shot, but they have more games to win, and not only that, but they're playing on less and less rest as they get towards the final. Yep. So a lot of what I see are so many terrible bets on long shots and an occasional gem of like a one two or three seed sometimes a four seed interesting depending on the conference yeah for sure
1: but then we've also seen like you know purdue is coming in on a buy today and the market just moved two points against them uh towards rutgers today too which which is interesting too um Purdue's another interesting team that that i'm happy to get into as well uh, but yeah, I agree. Like rest matters, and I think it's important to yeah, it's important to consider that, right? Because there's always these kind of examples of teams that make these like very long runs and and are very good on short rest. I remember a Connecticut team back in the day did that, but the Kemba Walker team, right? The Kemba Walker team, exactly. What six straight or whatever? No, six. Six seems like too many, but it was probably like five when
0: when that I think conference. Maybe even four bigger. or five. But they did that, and then they were a four seed in the tournament, and then they won the big dance. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they went all the way. So That was the first time I ever placed in an NCAA pool. Nice. I mean, because before that, it would just be my dad's office pool. I put in an entry, wouldn't read sharp material. Kemba Walker year, I didn't read sharp material, but I put it in, and I got it. Awesome. And then... Once I discover like the, you know, sports betting and the game theory of tournament entries, I realize okay, you have 0% VIG and you have people that aren't using right strategy. So, Uh you know, there's a lot of opportunities found there. You know, one thing I do is I just go on Twitter and I search for people looking for people uh, to enter their March Madness pool. And I'll just DM them Mm. being like, hey, how many entries can I get in? How many people are in? That's brilliant. I love that.
1: Right. And and you can you can actually kind of like micromanage that too, to try to figure out where in the country those particular people are from, right. So if you think a team is overrated, then you're really looking to get into a pool. Like let's just say, for
0: example, you think, uh, I don't know, let's yeah, say you last you should... last year, it's in a North Carolina pool. Right. That didn't go so well, right. But <laughs> I was on the right warpath. You know, it's about no, the process, you're... not the result. You were completely right
1: uh, about that North Carolina team. I thought they absolutely overachieved, almost won the entire thing. And last year, I was pretty critical of North Carolina making Hubert Davis the coach, someone who's never had head coaching experience. And of course, you look like an idiot as they go all the way to the title game. And uh, yeah, they lost yesterday, so it looks like they're out. And it, and you know, I mean, you know, the true, the true talent of that team. It's not a bad basketball team. But you, you kind of got to look over two seasons, you know, you average the results of almost winning a tournament and not making the tournament. And, you know, they're probably, they're, they're probably somewhere. I don't know where my numbers have them, Probably somewhere between, between 25 and 35.
0: Yeah. I mean, and then going back to the subject of like going for March Madness pools on Twitter, like, it was just amazing. All the people that i assume assumed read my bio on Twitter and check my tweets and had no problem with me entering the pool. <laughs> Right, and then the great part is because I did poorly in the pools last year, they probably won't mind if I hit them up again. The join, exactly right. Probably had a lot of Gonzaga winners but, there. Which you know, I'm satisfied with my performance. I'm satisfied with my performance, even though it was all losing, because all the losers were at the bottom. I'd rather be at the bottom than the middle. So, bottom or sure. top, right? Exactly. Go big or go home. And, you know, you can speak more about this, but like the big mistake I see everybody making is, you know, if you're going to go for that popular March Madness team, you got to pick some, you know, big upsets early on. And if you're going for a long shot or a team that isn't so popular, you go safer for the, the beginning rounds. And of course, I look for unique
1: rules. Right, right. I mean, I tend to you know i tend to you're absolutely right if you're if you're in a bigger pool so let's say like bigger than 30 uh, and i also recommend not getting in a pool bigger than 100 just because your odds to win kind of decrease exponentially and 100 is a pretty big number and it just leaves a lot of room open for for someone to get lucky and and beat you so the smaller the better but if you are in some a pool with between the sizes of 30 and 100 it, you you have to take some risks right you're not just going to pick the team that has the most likely chance to win. Um, You need to figure out what team uh, other people are picking, and you can actually get this data from sites like ESPN that just publish data on millions of brackets. It's actually a pretty big question as to who that team is gonna be this year, and and we should get into that in a little bit. But you wanna pick a different team that has a good win probability. Um, That's not the favorite, but, has a chance to win it anyway. And so the primary example in recent years is Virginia. In, in 2019, it was a year where Duke was the favorite. Another winner and, for me. Awesome. Uh, Duke was a favorite and had a dominant team with Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett. Of course, you know, Zion blows out his shoe towards the end of the season. He's hurt. And there's all kinds of questions about whether he can play. But he came back in the ACC tournament, played really well. And they were clearly the favorite. And if I remember right, they had about a one in three chance of winning the tournament. Like that's favorite territory. Not one half,
0: one third. And that and that's, and, and no team. I believe they that. had like one half of the entries or something close like that.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit less than that. But, but yeah, I mean, it was certainly a thing where you wanted to fade Duke. And the, 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 the team to do that last year was Virginia. And there was a couple of factors going on there. The first of which was that Virginia was the top overall seed the year before and then lost to a 16. So that was certainly playing in the minds of a lot of people. The same team that lost to a 16 seed was essentially the same team that won the national title a year later. Uh, Tony Bennett's best team, certainly the best team on offense. They had a lot of shooters and it wasn't easy, but they, they got it done and they won the entire thing. So that that's really when I talk about being contrarian in your March madness pool, that's what I'm talking about. Pick a team to win that you guess or know that a lot of other people in your pool are not picking um, pick against them and pick another team like Virginia that year that had a pretty good win probability. Cause, cause that way you get the 32 points. Like if that team wins, you get the 32 points that a lot of other people don't. Um, and then some, you know, Using Kevin's numbers in the in the previous rounds should should get you through. Just using you know smart, solid chalk in the earlier rounds is
0: is is gonna is gonna help you win. Yeah, I mean, I think people sometimes say, "Okay, I need to pick, uh, you know, this number of twelve seeds to beat a five seed, and this number of thirteen seeds to win," rather than looking at each each game right. individually in its own box. Because I think the reason a lot of these so-called upsets happen is. You know, the people who make the brackets, you know, aren't the sharpest in the world. Like if we actually got some real college basketball betters to make the brackets, it would be much different. And that would be that would be interesting. So I don't know if the NCAA will ever go for that. I know they're allegedly anti-gambling, but they make all their money off people watching because of gambling. Uh, But that's certainly something that should be looked into. Right, for sure. I mean, the people that, that
1: make the field are, are not the sharpest. Uh, you and I could certainly do a better job. But I, I will point out, Kevin, that I do feel like they're doing a lot better than they did a decade ago. When I first started doing this uh, with the numbers, I mean, it was it was a lot worse. I mean, there were often legitimately be 12, uh, 12 11 seeds with a higher win probability than the, the 5 or 6 that they were playing. So, that's certainly the evolution of analytics. Like I, I do feel like the community is using analytics. Um, I think, I think Ken, Ken Pomeroy has told me that he does not use any preseason prior in his numbers right now, partially because he wants kind of an unbiased view of this year in terms of how they performed. Even though putting a little bit of a preseason prior probably makes it a little more predictive, even at this point of the season. So yeah. Any, anyways, like. The committee is using analytics. I mean, they're 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 not good, but they're better than they used to be. So, and and I think that's like you know, I mean, even more so, I I tend to go with chalk in in the earlier rounds now, unless you really have a good reason to not unless see, you have like, a big pool. Yeah, unless you have a big pool, or more, I was thinking like if you have one of these pools where you get like upset points in the first round, right? You get like the seed difference uh, for picking in a first round game. So then you got to go in and do some math and you know figure out what the, the highest expected value. You just is. have to. The- Right. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I feel like that's like a second order thing. You just, right. Like you, you need to figure out if you're going to pick the upset, are you expected to get more points than if you pick the favorite? Cause the favorite's going to have higher than 50% chance to win. If there were no upset points, you clearly pick that team, right? Or at least I would suggest that you pick that team. Uh, I'm not a big fan, Kevin, of, 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 of sweating over these like upset picks in the first round. Cause you know, if you're in a pool that that's only worth one point, it's really not worth it. Like focus your attention on the later rounds where, where more of the points are.
0: Yeah, because if you're picking a team that 12% pick, you're competing against that 12%. So you got to think within that 12%, which ones are taking big risks and which ones are taking small risks, you know, and then work from there. So if it's like a, if it's an 80 person pool, 12%, you know, that'd be like nine people. So you got to think, okay, the nine people who have Virginia, um how do I beat those eight other people right rather than think and and chalk's chalk's gonna help you there or if you're like really sold if you're really sold on the team that 35 percent of people are picking then you gotta take some risks um you know it's great with you know the ESPN March Madness data I feel like lines up even to the non-ESPN pools because so many people enter in espn entries yeah exactly i don't know what the
1: number is but i mean in the past it's at least been five million people so you're gonna get some pretty good statistics there and and from just kind of anecdotal evidence from me asking about people's pools like if you're getting a pool that's like between 50 and 100 people it's gonna reflect what's on espn just because you know, you're getting that bigger sample size. That might not be true for a 10 person pool where everyone bets on college basketball for a living and is sharp, right? That might not reflect ESPN statistics. But if you're in kind of a, a typical March Madness pool and and you're you're you know there's there's up towards 100 people, you're you're going to reflect what you see on ESPN.com.
0: Now, you brought up earlier about how you don't want to join a pool of over 100. But I can think of a counterpoint is that you essentially have zero VIG and all these people out there love playing these same game parlay lottery picks that have a 40% house edge, you know, for that crowd that likes the SGPs or the, the plus the 300 futures, which other than the one I hit, uh, with Northern Illinois last year, are usually a bad bet to do, um, you know, for the, for the thrill seekers out there with the right strategy, isn't that, you know, something that they should look into that rather than buying a lottery ticket or doing SGP, why not do, you know, a couple long shot entries of a three seed that only 2% of people are picking in a hundred.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that makes a ton of sense. I don't know if there's ever a world in which you should do too many SGPs, especially the ones that like, you know, FanDuel just have there for you to click (laughs) the opening one. Uh, if you take that twenty dollars and, and get in a pool that's bigger than hundred, I'm I'm okay with that. And and also you have to look at how many like kind of the payout structure too. Like if you have a bigger pool, there's probably more than one winner, which is definitely what you're looking for. Um, that's obviously increasing your odds of of cashing. And yeah, I mean you can definitely play. Uh, yeah, I mean I, I think that's a good idea. I, I think it's just important to realize like you're not going to win every year, so. If you're going to do that every year and have fun with it, I think in the long run it is definitely plus EV. Just, just you know, if you're if you're looking, if if you if you really want the thrill of winning this year, that's not the best way to go about it.
0: I mean, it's all you know, relative. Um, but I've never really. It's really hard to find those hundred plus person pools. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you work at a huge company that's a March Madness pool, is right. what I found. So so a lot of these people on
1: Twitter asking for people into their pools they they tend to be smaller
0: yeah, they tend to be like twenty or thirty people God, it's perfect that's such a great strategy i I really I really notice this are concentrated in like an area of the country so it's the North Carolina pool I'm trying to remember some of the other places there was the one in um Washington state okay um. Surprisingly, the Washington State one people weren't picking in Zaga last year. I thought they would be interesting. Maybe they're Seattle based. Yeah, because it is over the mountains, but it's not like Gonzaga is like a huge university or in a highly populated area, Um, you know, but usually making the assumptions, you know, doing your own profiling of the other contestants.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's very important, right? if you're in a pool in lawrence kansas which actually might be a pretty good idea given bill self's health right now he was not on the oh. sideline yesterday and and i do think that matters uh, maybe not a ton but at least a little bit um there's going to be a lot of people that pick kansas to win in that pool no matter what's going on nationally right so that's an that's an opportunity to fade kansas <laughs> Unfortunately, Michigan is not going to be in the tournament this year. But in past years, I live here in Ann Arbor. If you were in a pool in Ann Arbor, at least half the people are picking Michigan, at least. And and so those. And how are many are, are picking
0: good- Ohio State?
1: Yeah, like none, right? So so those are the type of opportunities that that you want to take advantage of, and you know it's it's like a good time to get on Twitter and 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 check out what kind of pools are out there.
0: You know, or, you know, whatever chatter is out there, Um, you know, in terms of like these future bets, I find really good value on the two team bets where you pick which team advances further. Okay. Yeah. You know, I find a lot in that. I find the exotic bets, like what, uh, how many two seeds make it to the final four. Last year I was sweating because I had zero number one seeds to make it to the final four. And also had one. Right but the yeah. zero one pay was like a huge payout.
1: Oh yeah. That's a bummer. Cause Kansas snuck in there, right? Yeah. That's fun. I've, I've actually never looked at these exotic type bets. Cause usually in those four days, lead, you know, usually in the time before uh, the tournament starts, I'm, I'm pretty busy with bracket advice and stuff on the site, but uh, I will certainly, I will certainly check that out. I presume the, the big boys like are going to
0: have those type of exotic bets, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's of the world. Not only that, but they usually have it like on Selection Sunday or, or early Monday morning. Great. So yeah, so you jump on it then. Although that that's probably not
1: the most in market, right? So that's probably a market where there might be some value heading in the Thursday morning, right? It moves though. It does. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, that's, weird, that's people like, like I got... you, Kevin. you're messing it you're messing it up for the rest of us. I mean. I always think like, oh, I'm like a small fish. I'm not betting big enough amounts to move the market. But then, you know, I meet one sports book. Um, I met him at Bet Bash, And they were like, congratulations on picking Virginia Tech to win the ACC. I'm like, oh, how do you know? Did you read my article? He's like, no, because when you made the bet, it popped up on our ticker. (laughs) So you know, more and more sports books are profiling some of these lower level betters that they see some sharp stuff with. So it may not be me individually, but if they say, okay, we got Kevin Davis, we got two people in Michigan. We got one person in Iowa. They're like, okay, we got to move it now. And even like, this is somebody where, because I was able to connect with him on Twitter, um, I built up some goodwill because it was college football and they, the total of this game was 54 and a half and they did a market on margin of victory over under 54 and a half and the under was plus 140 which of course it's likely that the margin's going to be less than 54 and a half if the total's 54 and a half so rather than hit them up i just sent them a message be like hey you guys fucked up you got to fix this
1: <laughs> that's 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 very good of you Kevin I mean, I might have bet a little that, bit for That was just so it easy; it felt like them. theft, right? For sure, but I, I, think the with the way some of these these public sports books are and the the wide array of bets that they're offering, there, there's a lot of things that kind of feel like theft.
0: Yeah, and like if it's, um because I guess I learned a lesson from Croton on Hudson, where I grew up. My friend uh, ran an antique store. So she would go to a lot of auctions and buy stuff and she said that the rule of thumb is it's not ethical to buy something for less than 50% of what it's worth. So if something's worth a 100 and you're bu- and they're offering it for $10 at a tag sale, you got to tell them up front that it's worth more and I got to pay $50. Interesting. There there I
1: don't I don't believe everyone in the world would uh would would agree with that approach to to antiques uh
0: but I I appreciate that someone does. I mean, ultimately, it's like that kindergarten thing. Treat people the way you want to be treated. For sure. But at a certain point, some of these sports books are scum and they limit winners too quickly for following the rules that you should hit them up. Exactly. If it's it's a sports book like Pinnacle Sportsbook that has a record of being good for the customer, you know, I think it's good to just let them know. Oh, for Sure. I I would completely agree with that statement. You know, something—if I give something a forty percent probability of happening, and most sports books have it at plus one hundred and fifty, and one sports book has it at plus two hundred—I don't have to let them know, sure, because that's not a mistake. They're just, you know, having a difference of opinion, right? And they're
1: off, and that's the whole point of sports betting—is to find those bets.
0: Now, do you know of any, like, sportsbook managers that look at your numbers to kind of, like, adjust it, or do they just wait for the betting action?
1: I would suspect that they're wait- waiting for the betting action. I mean, I, I don't know this for sure. Um, I mean, look, the sportsbooks certainly have a subscription to KenPom, right? There's no doubt about that. They have to know exactly where it is, and they probably have subscriptions to – Right angle sports and and Dr. Bob, right? Because because they need to know where that action is coming from. Um, Bob's having a really good season. Uh, it's been it's been interesting watching how the markets move when he releases. Um, I would speculate that they have my numbers, but I, I'm not sure. Like I mean, it, it you know, like the Power Rank is 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 a good site, but it's certainly not the most famous site in the world out there for for either football or college basketball. And my college basketball stuff is lower profile um, until until we get to March. So, you know, would I recommend that books look at my numbers? Of course I would. But I, I don't think – I think in general it's not, it's not the most high-profile thing, so I wouldn't be shocked if no one was.
0: Now, like one thing interesting that comes up with you that I never really hear anyone ask in sports betting politics is your background in education. And I found an article you wrote on – teaching kindergartners math through blackjack right uh do the parents ever have an issue with you teaching them about gambling early on uh (laughs) or do they just chalk it up to a bunch of fun and they're they're glad their children are learning math through blackjack
1: most of the parents i know i've never gotten a complaint blackjack in kindergarten is a remarkable thing because uh you know anything that's kind of fun like a game that doesn't uh, remind the child that they're actually doing math. So they I mean, they're just like literally putting their finger on the cards. So you have seven, you have a four and they're literally counting, right? The spades or the diamonds or whatever they are. And so you are doing math in in, in playing the game. And that that's a really powerful thing. Like it's a it's a really uh, I feel like you should always learn by doing. And it's just an example of learning by doing. Right. You're playing a game. You're not doing something more tedious, like,
0: you know, just like filling out a worksheet.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're not filling out a worksheet. Um, my younger son was really into blackjack. Um, oh, actually, no, no, no. So, so we were playing poker. And that was another good example of when you're young, you're playing poker and he actually didn't learn a ton from the poker. I mean, he was pretty good for it for for a seven year old or however old it was. But what was really powerful was to do the betting with the chips. Because if he's like, well, I want to, you know, I want to bet like twenty-three cents on this, right? Like he'd have to count that out with the chips, and then he'd have to know, like, oh, I need two tens, and then you know, three ones, and stuff like that. And that was a great tool for him. Now, when you get older with blackjack, uh, with the middle school students, uh, I would actually teach them how to count, and so that was fun. And that was that was something that you can imagine parents saying, "Hey, what's going on here? Why are you teaching?" my child gambling. And um, I never got that. I never got that complaint. I think the, the answer is well, it's kind of fun. And honestly, it's a really, uh, you know, there's a lot of real life lessons there. Right? I'm teaching you how to count cards. I'm teaching you that when there's when there's a lot of 10s in there, like, um, you need to bet more because you have an edge. And even though they did that, sometimes you lose just like in real life, right? When you have that small edge, like it doesn't always happen. And I thought that was a really important lesson for the the middle schoolers. Um, Again, you know, like learning by doing and and you're learning some math, you're learning about probability. And I think that's really powerful for a middle school student. I've had some parents come up to me after and say, you know, like, uh, you know, the stuff that you did with my child really got them prepared for high school. And that alone is worth the time that you spend going in uh, doing some, some math, uh, with middle school students overall, it was a really rewarding thing. Um, and, you know, it was certainly fun to write about. And I, again, like learning by doing is, is so important.
0: Do you think there's room for a class at a university on sports betting, uh, like an elective sports betting class, you know, as long as, you know, the schools will panic. So you gotta make it as long as they're 21 plus. (laughs) <laughs> i i certainly they, think they freak out over the points bet colorado agreement like i'm glad that people are starting to freak out about certain responsible gambling things that are going on in the industry but right they're freaking out about the wrong things right 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 for sure
1: i i, I do think there's room for a course um i think the question is like what are you teaching that course i if you said i'm going to teach you quantitative methods for betting on sports then for sure, right? Like no one's going to have an argument with that because you're actually teaching some math and data science and and those are all really good things. There are also a ton of elements of sports betting that have kind of nothing to do with that in terms of, you know, information um and and honestly Kevin, like you don't teach like real-world relationships ever in a class, like how you get real-world relationships and go to things like bet bash and and meet people and, and make these connections like you'll you'll never learn that from a class right and that might be the most important thing uh for succeeding in the betting world
0: so i i do think there's there's room for that um is anyone doing it i mean i don't think so that's why i was saying like what would you think about that because you got yeah. a phd you can be an adjunct somewhere and teach the class i i, I could be yeah no, it's a, it's an interesting idea um if I had a master's I could teach it but I don't you got a, you got a, you got a PhD in sports betting that's that's all you gotta show them Kevin no I only have a I only have a bachelor's in a, like not even a quantitative field <laughs> but if I had like a master's in a different it wouldn't matter because I um like I'm a practitioner right but I mean you should learn from practitioners like there's a lot of
1: value in that. And I feel like the reason that colleges are kind of going downhill and having a lot of financial problems is that they're not doing things like that. They're they're in that old school way of saying, like, hey, you need to you need to do this uh, calculus problem by hand, which no one does anymore in this world. Right. It would be much better to be like, hey, why don't you go, you know, as part of class, go solve this real world problem from someone that that like a practice, it doesn't have to be sports betting. It can be anything. Right. Go, go I mean, I never even took calculus. I never even took pre-calc. And, it, and then, has, has it held you back? Has the sports book ever been like, hey, can you solve this integral for me and
0: I'll give you a hundred bucks? I mean, there's definitely a value in terms of, you know, getting the thinking for some of these high level math courses. My brother has a master's in economics. So he's taking calculus to a high level. Uh, and sometimes he'll have some good insights. And then of course, there'll be some things he missed, because there's a lot of, you know, sort of qualitative factors in addition to the quantitative. But, you know, I think, I think part of it is so many people are afraid of math or hate math, because they don't apply it to anything. And if they started applying it to things in their life, then they would learn the material. Exactly. And that's how you get a
1: young child to get into math, right? You have to understand the child first. And then how math fits in his, her, or her life. Uh, that That's, I mean, that's
0: what I would do if if I were tutoring. Um, and then the sequential. So if you have a bad teacher in math one year, mm-hmm. you may have like not learned the material and you can't move on. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. A problem. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like to kind of crap on calculus
1: a lot. And it's not because I don't like calculus, I actually like calculus a lot. And I think it's a beautiful topic that we should all learn. But I just feel like it's overemphasized, right? Like, if you, if you want to talk legit about like, what matters in the world today? In general, for any practitioner of, 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 of whatever we could call math or data science, yeah, sure, there's some calculus in there. But like, there's a lot of things like linear regression and any kind of linear algebra and, and, and computer science and programming. There's, there's a whole list of things. I just think that are more important than calculus, but that's what we hammer home at the high school and college level. And, and it's just, it's, it's just not consistent with, with what kids should be doing in 2023.
0: Yeah. It'd be great if like they can even spend like one or one day or one lesson just on if then statements. Right. Like, cause that just opens up yeah, a huge a whole... can of worms. Exactly. Or even like once you discover exactly. like, you know, that Monte Carlo models, the name itself sounds intimidating. Uh, you know, but once you learn the basics, then your mind gets ticking and you can, you can build them. Exactly. Cause like that's really I had useful. no clue that Excel would randomly, I had no idea that Excel would randomly pick a number between zero and one. And then, you could say, okay, this team has a 67% chance of winning. So you have it. So whenever the random number is less than 0.67, it selects the favorite. And whenever it's larger than that, it selects the underdog. So then it comes to the point of, okay, once you come up with the formula, you gotta get good numbers to plug in. There, There is like, like a wide swath of human
1: knowledge in both the research world and the practical world that all start with picking a random number between one and zero. It's a really powerful thing.
0: Yeah, and then you, you see like other things that people are doing to like project things in other professional or even governmental organizations, and think, oh, if they just, you know, did a simulation, they can have like better numbers. So I'm just thinking of like my local bike share program, City Bike. Um, their algorithm, I think does a poor job of projecting when certain stations need more bikes and certain stations, need more users to ride the bikes to open up spaces because they have a reward system to give people points, uh, to balance out the system. But I feel like the reward system is off and once the system is off, they have to get someone in a truck to drive around, pick up bikes, and move them to empty stations. And I think, and this is like City Bike is owned by Lyft. So I'm thinking, how does Lyft not have a better algorithm?
1: They should. They should be on the the, the cusp of machine learning and, and predictions.
0: Although part of my theory of why they don't have a good algorithm is because they have it in their contract. You can't have any other competitors. And they're able to raise the rates 12% every year. So that's another tangent. Now like March Madness this year, without the bracket being set, do you think we're going to have, you know, a consensus favorite? Or you just think you're going to have like a ton of different teams that are going to be popular? Right. Uh, I mean, the market's telling us who the favorite should be and and
1: that's Houston. And I believe that to be correct. Uh, Your numbers say that my numbers say that Uh, a lot of other people's. uh, Yeah. I mean, they, they should be the favorite by a lot of metrics. The So what's interesting is, is there's who should be the favorite and then who the public thinks should be the favorite. As we talked about and how to win your pool, right? Like that matters because there are certain pools where you want to pick against what the public is saying. And I think there's a big question out there whether Houston will be the public favorite. Um, I actually talked to uh, Evan Miyakawa about this yesterday. And you know, Houston is like Gonzaga. It's like not a, a team that's really well known. And you can imagine Alabama being a public favorite. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of things going on with that program in terms of the potential
0: legal legal status of star Brandon Miller. I could see Kansas being one of the most overbet teams. Exactly. So normally look for the blue chips. And you don't have a Duke this year. You don't have a North Carolina. You don't have a Michigan. You don't have a Kentucky. I mean, I bet everyone's going to pick Kentucky to win the first round. You don't have I'm just trying to think of some of the others. Um, UCLA, maybe. UCLA maybe. may be overbet. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Th- um, I mean that'll be really interesting. Arizona.
0: Uh-huh. I feel like
1: UCLA's kind of made a late surge in my numbers and, and a late surge on the basketball court. And with the brand recognition there, you know, maybe are they the public favorite? I think that's certainly a possibility. I think when you, when you think about winning your March Madness pool like I'm I'm really hoping for like kind of bad things to happen to Houston like they lose and like good things to happen to Kansas like they win and then all of a sudden Bill Self is no longer in the hospital and and everything's honky dory there um that's that's what I root for at this during championship week right like I I want kind of the teams that I really like to have a rough week this week we'll see if that actually happens um but Yeah, I mean, there's huge questions about public favorite, and and yeah, we talked about the teams that that could potentially be that team.
0: Now, on the topic of Bill Self, our coaches in general, I've never like looked into how to quantifiably measure the impact of a coach, Mm -hmm. but qualitatively, I always thought that coaches were overrated because their their most important contribution in college sports is recruiting players Mm -hmm. and training them. Right. So if you have a coach out mid season. They've already recruited the players and they've already trained them. So I wouldn't see much of a drop off with Kansas if they didn't have Bill Self, just because they already have the system in place and the, and the cogs in the machine. True. Um, I, I mean, I think there might be a little bit of a- I mean, I think the bigger issue with them is the big 12 is such a strong conference right. and they perform well right. in it. I don't know. I
1: mean, I do feel like, I don't know. I personally think Bill Self gets a lot out of his players in March. Um, that's just kind of anecdotal without any any data to back it up. But um, so I think it matters a little bit, but in general, I agree with what you're saying. I did do a study one year about how coaches out or underperform expectations, either by the markets or, or by my numbers. And this was in the height of the Izzo is the greatest March Madness coach ever. Days, I think, I don't know, 2015, something like that. and. You know i did the study because i wanted to figure out if that was actually true and i think Izzo outperformed the market or his expectation but it wasn't by a ton and the coach that did the most was roy williams <clears throat> which you can't really argue with right you know he had kind of done well you know Izzo has kind of regressed in terms of of that for the most part since then you know since those days where he was making uh or, or since those years where he was significantly outperforming what people expected in the tournament. One of the coaches at the very bottom was Tony Bennett. Like he was massively underperforming uh, what was expected of him in the tournament. This was before the, 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 the 2018 disaster when they lost to a 16 seed as a one. And when you look at that all, I mean, I stopped doing the study because I just felt like it was too small a sample size to really make, too much of it. So I stopped doing it. Um, I believe in 2019, when I was telling a lot of people to pick Virginia, like I, I had a whole section arguing that like, let's, let's just not, let's just not talk about this Tony Bennett thing. Right. Like he's a good coach. And the most important thing that year was he had a really, really good basketball team. And luckily that, that ended up working out.
0: Now, what sort of scenarios with pace do you see in some of these games? Like if Alabama gets matched up with a like a slow tempo uh, control possessions team, or if Alabama gets matched up with another up tempo team, do you see that playing a role, or does it kind of even itself out?
1: Um, I mean, I think. I mean, I think these are kind of smaller order effects. You know, in general, like I'm going to trust my main numbers about what I think the point spread in this game is, what I think the win probability for each team is. I'm gonna trust that. If um, you know, for example, if Alabama's like a 24 point favorite and they as an up-tempo team are gonna play another up-tempo team, then you expect more possessions, and then maybe instead of a 24 point favorite, they should be a 25 point favorite. Right. Just cause you expect more variance with um uh yeah. Sorry. You expect a bigger point spread with, with uh, high, higher possession games. So, you know, maybe micro adjustments like that, but I'm not, I mean, I have no interest in betting those big point spread games anyways, because I feel like it depends on when you're going to take your starters out late in the game. Um, so, you know, small adjustments there, but nothing, nothing I'm really
0: that, that I'm going to be really digging into. I mean, I think on a micro level, looking at, alt lines for some of these games where there's huge page discrepancies and seeing the sports books that kind of treat it like a regular 22 point favorite because you know, the difference if you have a 22 point favorite and both teams are up tempo looking at the minus 26 alt line or the plus 16 alt line and seeing how they price it because those points are worth less than if it's, Two like slow tempo teams against each other, and you can, you know, I know that uh, all the podcasts say never buy points, never buy points, but sometimes, occasionally, it might be worth it, or even just line shopping in general, which is good for using Pinnacle Sportsbook for. Um, you know, if you see a bunch of sports books with plus three, and you don't have a lean on the game, but you see one sports book with plus three and a half, where the half a point is only worth an extra. $0.05 cents. Um, for, you know, the upcoming NFL draft and football season, mm-hmm. uh, what sort of, you know, new metrics do you think are going to take place uh, for this year that didn't take place last year?
1: What new metrics? I don't know. I mean, I've, I've started to think about the drafts. I'm not sure any of the metrics are different. I feel like I, I've always kind of been a fan of wisdom of crowds there and i feel like i'm going to lean less towards uh like i guess i'll call it big wisdom of crowds so the stuff that um benjamin robinson's doing it grinding the mocks where he's just aggregating every single mock draft you can find and i think i'm going to kind of emphasize more on the sharp mocks so the the folks that we know have a pretty good track record people like daniel jeremiah at nfl.com i feel like i'm going to lean a little bit more that way uh just because I found him to be particularly accurate. Uh, I'm looking forward to betting the NFL draft. I feel like this is something that is not going to last forever because it's just such a hard thing for the books to do well. And then, um, I don't know, heading into the football season, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I'll take a bunch of time once the tournament starts to start looking at uh, NFL and college football numbers. You know, I think I, you know, what I do, I think I have a pretty good uh, baseline for for those predictions, um, using things like success rate and kind of filtering out the the randomness of explosive plays. Am I going to add anything new? Probably. But I, I actually don't know what those things are uh, right now.
0: When do you start typically hitting up those NFL futures, if at all?
1: Yeah, so I don't do a ton with NFL futures. And the main reason is because I don't really have a database model that I trust to project out win totals. Um, a lot of what I do in the early weeks of the seasons are all market-based. So I'm, I'm really relying on wisdom of crowds there because I found that to be pretty pretty accurate heading into the season. And that's good, but it's kind of hard to use the market against itself, right? So um, I usually use kind of the preseason market to project what those week one spreads should be. And, and two and three. So um, I don't, uh, I don't bet a lot of NFL win totals. I'll do some um, kind of maybe more qualitative uh, win totals. Um, I think, well, for example, like two years ago, I had like Cleveland under 10 and a half wins simply because they, you know, I didn't think they were that good. And they, they had like a basically zero point differential the season before, even though they made a playoff run, beat the Steelers, so very rarely I'll have something like that. Um, maybe a little bit more this year um, as I spend less of my time dealing with code issues in the off season and, and more studying up on the teams. Um, but I'm not, I'm not huge in NFL win totals, probably a little bit more so college football. Um, I like to kind of dig into those teams and, and and I do think there's more value there. Um, and, and there I do have a, a model that I trust to, project out the season where this team
0: is and and how many win totals. Yeah, I mean, most of what I find for NFL futures is, you know, by the time I like work everything through, make sure I'm not missing anything, and I come up with a number, the edge is just not big enough to warrant having my money locked up. Exactly. Even for four months. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, mean, yeah, no, that's a huge thing,
1: right? Because if you expect on like An NFL weekend to not have much money in your sports betting accounts, then you you should probably not bet any futures at all unless you think you have a huge edge.
0: I mean, I think part of it is people love futures just because it gives them a longer sweat. It's a lot of fun. It's more lucrative. Um, So I think there needs to be, you know, something out there for people who bet futures to do it in a way that's sharper. Right. Because most of what I see is when running these numbers is you'll have an occasional bet where there's like a small edge, but the vast majority of the bets there's a huge negative edge. Uh Like that, you know, some of these bets, you know, the, the edge is worse for you as a better than blindly betting SGPs. Right. Right. For sure. I mean, if a team is plus, you know, 20,000 and and 25,000 simulations wins only two times. Right. Yeah, that's not good. That's going to be like I, what? And I think the sports books get extra greedy. I think the, the sports books get extra greedy where, um, you know, you may be able to find a plus 200, but they know that people are going to bet it no matter what price they put it at. So they do 7,500 or plus 10,000 when it should be plus and then you know the plus number will be like so big it won't even fit into the the column in excel of the widening it out yeah no i'm i'm sure they do that
1: um i don't know man there there's some bad teams in the nfl that like you know like there is no way chicago or well actually let's let, let's just make fun of houston houston's not winning the super bowl
0: I know this We're I got a whole league of parody. Houston's not winning the Super Bowl. So on that note, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners this week?
1: Yeah, I think uh, – I don't know. I'm excited about a lot of college basketball, both in terms of winning March Madness pools and betting these games once the tournament starts. So, yeah, I just – you know, I don't know, just just start following the market. even if you haven't been betting college basketball stuff, start, start following the market, see what teams are getting certain times of market movement, you know, use that along with, you know, my numbers, your numbers, Kevin, Ken Palm and all that stuff. And yeah, let's go and have some fun with it.
0: All right, Dr. Fang, Ed Fang, uh, as well as your other hats. Thanks for coming on to 90 degrees. And I wish all of the listeners success. In their March Madness pools or even their March Madness bet. Big bomb bomb bangers. Thank you for tuning in to 90 Degrees presented by the Hammer Betting Network. Head over to our website, thehammer.bet, for all your sports betting needs. If you've enjoyed the show, click the like button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. If you've made it this far, drop a comment on who you think will win the March Madness tournament. Let's cash.